here comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, we are keeping it low-key. The Bundesliga is uh, on an inordinately low-scoring weekend, this one, and uh, me as well. I just got my flu shot, my COVID booster, about an hour ago, so, you know, by the end of the show, I, I might be a little droopy. With me to keep things on an even keel is as safe a pair of hands as I could think of finding. It is Terry DeFellin. Hello. Hello, Matt. What a joy it is to be back on the show for the first time. And what a joy it is to be back on the show when we appear to have a title race in September. I know. I know. Bayern, Munich, five points off the pace. <laughs> Bunch of chancers. I always said they'd do nothing without Lewandowski. <laughs> Repeatedly. Of course, of course. And, and as, as it's been well documented in many places, early in the season, we were all uh, hoodwinked by their good form. Our good friend and erstwhile guest, Ronan Murphy, uh, I think maybe gave Bayern the kiss of death, he mentioned on Twitter the other day, that um, ever since his prognosticating that they will be setting all kinds of points and goals records for the season. They haven't won a game. Uh, we'll be talking about that circumstance, as well as all the rest of the uh, storylines from Match Day 7 in just a moment. First, though, please do make sure to subscribe to the pod. Please do leave us a five-star rating if you can. It really helps us get the word out about the show. If you really like us, you know, maybe consider subscribing to to us on Patreon. We got lots of timeless content, the historic Match Day Moment series running week by week, all season long. And if you join in the next few weeks, you can help us choose some special topics for shows during the World Cup break. See you in a moment. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct. I am Matt Herman here with Terry DeFellin. To be honest, this was a weekend low on goal-scoring fireworks. Just 17 goals across nine matches. Not really a match day for attacking football connoisseurs. But there were fireworks in other areas. I think we have to admit that, such as uh, the area of form of FC Bayern München. After a 1-0 loss in Augsburg, I'm just going to allow that to settle in for a moment. Bayern are now four games without a win. That is the longest such stretch for the Rekordmeister in more than two decades. Augsburg's Fenerbahce Loni, Mergen Berisha, he scored the game's only goal. And of course, uh, Rafael Gikovic made all the saves he was asked to make, including a stunner against his opposite number, Manuel Neuer, in the final seconds of the match. You know, I'm going to be honest here. I was watching the Revere Derby for most of this. I, I, I did flip over momentarily to see how things were going when I heard what was happening. But um, I did not see much besides the Schlussphase, as it were. But I do feel happy to talk about some of the background issues here. Bayern clearly are now having some serious issues, not only with scoring goals, but also keeping out goals against you know, sides who probably find it difficult to score against most teams. What do you reckon is happening here with Bayern? It's, it's been, as I said, four weeks of a lack of wins in the Bundesliga. The Champions League campaign is well on its way in, in a positive direction. But we were talking about this before the show. You kind of figured you saw an extra little bit of writing on the wall at midweek. Well, I watched the Bayern Munich versus Barcelona game. I watched Barcelona's visit to Bayern Munich, which I'm sure probably a lot of the listeners did too. I think it was a bit of a neutral's favourite for those who could watch that game that they would have done. Cause obviously, huge narrative involved with Robert Lewandowski's return so quickly to the Allianz Arena after having departed in the summertime. But obviously, that was a convincing scoreline for Bayern Munich and it was a convincing performance in the second half as well but in the first half I don't think that Bayern would have had too many complaints if they'd come into the dressing room two or possibly even three goals down Lewandowski had a rare off day and not the kind of time to have a, a, a bad match and didn't bring his scoring boots with him otherwise he could have had a hat-trick in the first half certainly could have had two 
And so, yeah, that was the first time I'd proper had a proper look at Bayern Munich. And, and yes, that was sort of from a Bayern point of view, somewhat perplexing. And so, yeah, Jürgen Nagelsmann, after the game, suggesting that perhaps players are not respecting the Bundesliga too much and placing too much emphasis on the Champions League. But in fairness, you know, going by the performance in the first half of that Barcelona game, I don't know whether or not it's quite as straightforward as that either. Yeah, if there's anything, I mean, we've talked about this looking at it from both sides. Certainly early in the season when Bayern were racking up very big goal tallies and and looking extremely dominant, us, like so many other in the pundit class, (laughs) were thinking, oh, you know, Lewandowski, no Lewandowski, no problem. That has changed pretty dramatically. If anything, I think it's clear now that Bayern – are not necessarily going to be able to rely on the sort of scoring by committee project that they seem to have embarked on early in the season. And in some ways, I think teams also may have made some pretty big adjustments to some of the things that Bayern are doing to get themselves into dangerous situations. They're they're finding it harder to open up, you know, deep-lying teams, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that there's been some suggestions perhaps that Sadio Mane is not 100% happy with the position that he's playing at as well. And yeah, as you say, I, mean, I was, uh, I haven't been, this is my first appearance on the show, but if I had been here earlier, I probably would have been one of them suggesting that actually maybe with Lewandowski leaving, that in fact it's unlocking, you know, the rest of the team to, you know, fill their boots, I know that the goals are always there, but they just happen to be scored by Lewandowski, which now looking back on it seems naive. But we're all hardwired to believe in the supremacy of Bayern Munich. And who can blame us because we've had 11 years of conditioning <laughs> to that, to that. We've had decades of conditioning, to be fair. But certainly in a lot, we've had the last decade of conditioning that's hardwired to think that they will just win the Bundesliga by default and that they are almost invulnerable. But we can, I think, allow ourselves to believe what is actually quite a realistic feeling. And that is that with not just the goals and the assists, but also the build-up play, the link-up play that, that Lewandowski offered Bayern Munich was disproportionately high. He was that good and he is that good that Bayern Munich are missing him. And maybe it is just as simple as that. But analysts will almost certainly and rightly seek to find more underlying causes than that. I'm really more concerned with narrative. But narrative is powerful in this instance. And that's a, it's a big pair of boots to fill and, and they've got a bit of work to do. And they also, yes, I, I think you're right, Matt. You've seen probably more of these games than me this season so far. But... It's possible, yes, that the rest of the Bundesliga is looking at Bayern Munich and maybe have not exactly figured them out, (laughs) but have certainly found ways in which they can try and mitigate against them and and alleviate some of the stronger and more aggressive elements of that that team. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to see Bayern dig themselves out of this particular hole. It's just so unaccustomed. I don't think that it's beyond their abilities, certainly. But this... Definitely makes for an interesting set of narratives, speaking of narratives again, in the coming weeks, especially if they go into the longer international break, the the big World Cup break, if you will, you know, the one coming in November. If they still find themselves something like five points off the top or thereabouts, I think there could be some pretty interesting conversations about not only potential purchases in the winter transfer window, which everything's so weird about this this season of, you know, football, but also, you know, the questions are already being asked, even if they're being answered incredibly definitively thus far by the likes of Oliver Kahn and Hasan Salihamidzic, about Julian Nagelsmann. I don't think that there's anything hanging over him just yet, but I can definitely see that if this season does not end in a Bundesliga title, that I think he knows that's the benchmark. He's got to get there. No, I, well, you don't. You're not buying it. I, I certainly think that if he doesn't win the Bundesliga, he's going to have to win the Champions League. Fair enough. Or yeah. At the very yeah. least, at least finish second in the Champions League because when you get to the knockout stage, you get to the final of the Champions League, anything can happen, and the best teams don't always necessarily win the Champions League. So I think if he can deliver that, then I think that gets him off the hook. But. 
I think that he's got to be on thin ice. Some of the things that he was saying, you know, about reviewing his own position, I'm sure was to an extent performative and to, you know, demonstrate to the leadership that, you know, he's taking this seriously. On the other hand, they put an awful lot of investment into Nagelsmann and I'm certain that Oliver Kahn and others would see Nagelsmann as a long-term coach and that this is a long-term project and would want to stick with him. I don't think this is like Kovac, for example, who I think was always not the first choice of the coach, not the ideal choice of a coach. And then when it all started to go wrong with him, it wasn't too difficult to get rid of him. And there's no sort of veteran coach waiting in the wings that can just sort of like step in and and, and help out. I don't know who there is to replace him. So in the short term, I think Nagelsmann is fine. I think he'll have the season to turn it around. And in all likelihood, Matt, this will probably be something that they'll get to the bottom of eventually. It probably requires maybe some interventions with some of the more senior members of the squad in the dressing room and they'll start winning games soon enough. And then, you know, the current leaders and the current title contenders will either suffer from the usual psychodrama that come to them or for the ones who are psychodrama reverse, they'll have rotation problems as the season cuts deep and Bayern might well just end up winning the title more through attrition and through the fact that they've got the squad depth to be able to handle this. So I think that that's still a quite likely scenario. And I think it's important. While this is extremely interesting and we're right to talk about it and talk about it in depth, we shouldn't get too dramatic about it because, you know, it is only September. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not even a quarter of the way through this season. Like I said, it's been, it's been more than 20 years since Bayern have uh, been without a win for four match days in a row. Let's move on to talking about the big one, the game that I think probably captured the most fan imagination in Germany heading into the weekend. That is the Revere Derby. That was the first one in the Bundesliga in, I guess, two seasons, probably the first one in two and a half or three that actually had a full house full of fans inside. And uh, at least from an atmosphere and sort of uh, fire, I don't mean literal fire, although there was a little of that. There was some flair action going on before the game. But it was a spirited game of football. KG, as I think many of us would have come to expect, Schalke, they went to the Westfalen Stadion seemingly kind of determined to hang on for dear life, it seemed. They defended deeply. They countered with limited conviction, let's just say. But they were a tough nut to crack for Dortmund. It was not until, I guess, 11 minutes from time that uh, Yusuf Mokoku got hold of that Marius Wolf cross and put one past Alexander Schwolo from close range. How do you feel about this 1-0 win, Terry? So as a Dortmund fan, I'm ecstatic because this is a sort of situation where Dortmund go into a game heavy favourites to win and then contrive a way to lose. And it feels like a very Dortmund thing to happen. But the reality is, is that I reckon in terms of pre-match favourites and establishing pre-match favourites, you've got to go back decades to find a game, a Revere derby, where one team was so heavy a favourite going into the game. Because normally Schalke and Dortmund traditionally are fairly closely matched. Both clubs have had their high points and have been markedly better, but not to the point where they are now. The gap in quality between the two sides, you know, is as wide as it could conceivably have been since the 1960s. And, you know, Schalke are a newly promoted side, a relatively hastily assembled squad, a relatively hastily assembled coach. Going into this match, under normal circumstances, a club like that will be thinking, or a coach like that will be thinking, well, yep, we're going to go for a super low block. We're going to go for transition. We're going to try and win the game that way. But really, our main priority is to try and not to lose the game. And... I think that that is probably something that on this occasion Schalke fans were probably comfortable with given the circumstances. But it's a Revere derby and so, you know, I'm sure Frank Kramer and and the fans and the players would have wanted to have tried to have won the game, but it just wasn't to be. It's a kind of situation where really what you need is a miracle. Miracles happen in football. One of the reasons why we watch it so much is because miracles do happen in football because there's so much luck and fortune involved in the 
determining a result. Occasionally, you do get regularly to see miracles, but this, and it just didn't happen for Schalke on this occasion. I think Dortmund had to try and thread the needle and worked extremely hard to do that. And then I think actually Terzic deserves some credit for making that tactical switch, bringing on Mukoku, taking off Marlon as well, who played well, but I think was just beginning to, I don't know, maybe he was feeling the pace towards the end, but he was certainly losing his influence. I thought bringing on Adeyemi and certainly Mukoku was a good move. Although the irony, of course, is that, you know, you've taken off your big sort of number nine so that with a view to try and see if you can thread your way through this congested Schalke defence. But actually the game is won by a header <laughs> it was, from, 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 from Marius Wolf chucking in a floater. It was a most Modestian goal. It really was. It was a massively Modestian goal. But, I mean, in fairness, I mean, you had Adeyemi and certainly Makoku and they were kind of pulling, pulling stretching that Schalke defence you know, a lot in the minutes that were coming out there. So it was a little bit baggier than it had been beforehand. And I think that this is probably where people who are arguing that Makoku should be starting are on safe ground because this is something that Modest doesn't really do. Um, he doesn't have that. Yoshida had had an excellent game in there and will be disappointed to have let Makoku go. But I think that there was work that had been done on softening them up beforehand. And yeah, I and mean, from a Schalke point of view, yeah, when you've got an expected goal of 0.1, you need a miracle. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, you're a Dortmund fan, so I can only talk to you. But if I were talking to a Schalke fan, I would be very interested in hearing how they viewed the approach to this game. I feel like a realistic fan would probably be able to approach this humbly and say, you know, we don't have any other alternative at the moment because, let's face it, our team is quite limited. But I can't imagine that it was a... <laughs> a great 90 minutes to live through, given some of the furious comebacks we've seen or great upsets we've seen, at least in more recent years when, you know, Dortmund by and large has been the more highly touted side. Are you ready to give Yusufa Makoko a few games as a starter? I mean, the sort of nexus that you just put across there of having a quick, energetic, youthful player come in and sort of work on some tenderized meat, let's just say, would suggest that maybe this is this is a decent way to go about things, to have Modest play for 60 or 70 minutes and then have the two sort of quick fellas come in, Mokoko and Adeyemi. But might there be some thought about flipping that around? Mm, yeah, and then maybe actually bringing on the battering ram that is Modest as an impact sub if things aren't going so well, say, for Mokoko at the start. My feeling is is that Dortmund's style of play lends itself better to a more nimble forward than Modest. I feel strongly that actually the answer to that in up until a few months, a few weeks ago, was uh, Sebastian Allaire. I was extremely happy and impressed with that recruitment. I thought that was a great signing. Just the kind of guy that we need post-Harland to sort of, you know, you know, weigh in with those goals. Obviously, the guy is sick and is coming back and hopefully will be back in a Dortmund shirt and back playing football soon. And for me, I think he's still actually, you know, for this season, uh, if it can happen, then that's the optimum for me. But Makoku almost always delivers, does what he's asked to do. I think he is destined to be a top striker. And I think the sooner Dortmund facilitate that, you know, the, the better. Maybe against teams where they know they're going to be playing against, you know, two banks of four, would maybe he would be better to start against. Maybe if we're expecting to be on the back foot a lot more, then maybe it might be better to have, you know, Modest up there. I mean, the City game, Modest played really well. Yeah, yeah. He was leading the defence from the back there. And, you know, that is not something that I would necessarily expect a 17-year-old to be able to take on against a team like Manchester City and it all went wrong when he came off and I don't believe the two aren't linked you know I, I think that 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 was a, a, a mistake by Terzic on that occasion to put on the extra man in the back and concede that territory giving up a goal to John Stones is unforgivable in any competition it's just really bad I know the keeper was dodgy but it was it's just like you don't give up everybody in England knows this do not it's just embarrassing so the answer to your question is yes for some games, but I think against stronger opposition, I would still feel more comfortable with a more traditional number nine up there to help give the team a bit more shape. One of the stories in this game that looks like it has been set 
at least a bit to one side, was um, Marco Royce came out hurt pretty early in this game, at least by his sort of physical reaction to getting hurt, being stretchered off, as well as sort of hiding his face under his hand in a way that aroused great empathy, let's just say. <laughs> yeah, well, apart from with the shark effect. <laughs> sure. It was very emotional because obviously we know about Marco Royce's injury history. And so we see that. And if you watch the replays, as they kept showing, mm-hmm. <laughs> of him turning his ankle and anybody who has turned their ankle playing football or doing anything like that knows just how awful it is. And it was traumatizing to watch. But it doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm no medical dude, but I know that it can just simply be a sprain or something like that. I mean, it, it's something that can actually heal, you know, in a matter of weeks and Sebastian Kale was implying that perhaps that's what's happened here, that doesn't appear to be anything broken. It looks incredibly nasty and understandably Marco Royce upset because he's thinking about what a great start to the season he's had. He's thinking about the possibility of playing in a World Cup, a fit Marco Royce at the World Cup that Germany could actually win. And he's seeing it all evaporate when he's got Schalke fans shouting out of Wiedersehen, out of Wiedersehen as he's being stretched off the pitch. You know, that's all very emotional. But it does appear that perhaps it's not as bad as it seems. So, you know, Dortmund fans will be keeping their fingers crossed and certainly German uh, national team fans, I would imagine, are too. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to see the guy miss the World Cup. I guess the international break is coming at a fairly opportune time then for Dortmund, if not for Royce. Your thoughts briefly on Gio Reyna and his performance in this, as well as the fact that, you know, after having something of a lost season last year with injuries, he's been brought along slowly. I think he's looked quite good thus far. Am I getting my hopes up? (laughs) Speaking of someone getting ready to go into a World Cup with uh, a team depending quite a lot on that particular Dortmund player. Yeah, I watched Reina as closely as I could during that match. Obviously, as an Englishman, I have some interest in the form of Gio Reyna as well, because England are playing the USA in the World Cup. And Gio Reyna is a player who you know, discerning English fans have identified as a genuine threat to our progression in that competition. I felt that there was a certain languor to his game during that match, which surprised me a little bit. I won't say it was lacking in energy, because that is patently not the case. It was a revered derby being played at 5,000 miles per hour. Nobody was lacking energy in that game. But I think I felt that there was a certain poise and a bit of confidence to the way that he played. He wasn't rushing. He wasn't acting in haste. I think he was playing it quite cool, given the circumstances. And I appreciate, obviously, it was literally a cameo because he was he was swapped out, wasn't he? They're bringing him back slowly but surely. But I saw nothing there that US fans should be worried about. And as an England fan, you know, I am worried. He is a player that I am worried about. I hope he isn't injured for the World Cup because it's a shitty thing to happen to people. And it also, you want to play the best players. You want to beat the best teams. You want to play the best. You want to beat the best players. I don't want the Americans to have any excuses when we beat them 5-0. That was a joke, by the way. It was a big joke. That was a massive joke. (laughs) And uh, Raiders' absence would, of course, be be a big excuse. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of having the best personnel on hand for that rather large World Cup match coming up, there's been a little bit of consternation among the USMNT faithful that perhaps – They won't have the best striker available to them. That is, of course, Jordan Pifok, or Jordan Sibachev, if you like it that way, who plays for none other than FC Union Berlin, the top of the table, Union Berlin. Yeah, Wolfsburg hung on with them for about 45 minutes in their game on Sunday, but it didn't last. It's very hard to hang on for 90 minutes against Union Berlin, especially when you're not putting them under very much pressure. <laughs> Jordan Pifok, he put Union up 1-0 with a pretty devastating glancing header on the run nine minutes into the second half. And I'm sure you're going to be shocked to hear this. The other goal was scored by his running mate, Geraldo Becker, who also scored on the run in a transition situation in the 77th minute. I think we've all got a lot of respect for what Union is doing at this point. They are a machine. They are the machine in the Bundesliga right now. They are hard to beat, and they're very, very sharp going forward. Totally. 
the sharpness going forward has been a hallmark of their time since they've been here. They've always been able to get hold of informed strikers. The quality of them, you know, may, may vary. But, I mean, you know, that's essential, I think, for any newly promoted club and then any club that's establishing itself is that if you can if you can get strikers that are in form, you're doing so much of the hard work already and it's giving you the breathing space to then flesh out your squad and build a squad around you that has become, you know, the very epitome of stereotypical German efficiency. You know, they're almost flawless as a unit. They rarely put a foot wrong. They're functional and pragmatic in their approach they're not always necessarily you know the most aesthetically pleasing but they have the benefit of a fan base that it doesn't carry that kind of pedigree of like good football this idea of oh you know more than a club and you know uh, we have to play attacking football there has to be a certain philosophy about the way that we play football that's not what Union are about, although the way that they're going, it soon will be because you know they're setting bars for themselves and they're setting expectations for themselves that are extremely high. The manner with which that they were able to draw out Wolfsburg, a team who turned up with very little ambition whatsoever to really do anything interesting in that game, you do have to wonder what the point of Wolfsburg is right now, but that's another conversation. They didn't get carried away, Union. They didn't overcommit. They drew them out. It was a fairly, you know, average, you know, not a fairly dull, frankly, first half. But that's not Union's problem. And then once they were able to, you know, suffer them up a bit, yeah, they had those incredibly, you know, efficient, incredibly talented, razor-sharp strikers that they've got right now that I'm sure people will be talking about more and more as the season goes on and comfortably won the game and every inch the top of the table team that they should be. There's no fluke about it. The only unusual thing about the fact that Union Berlin are top of the table is the fact that it is Union Berlin and we're just simply not accustomed to seeing clubs of that kind, clubs of that size, being so successful in the Bundesliga. Yeah, lots of praise deserved for Union and um, lots of maybe even condemnation. Uh, <laughs> deserved for Wolfsburg. Even their coach, Nico Kovac, after this game, sounded off, really went off on his team. It was, uh, I'm not going to say suspicious, but it was definitely, it gave you some some thoughts how definitive he was. He said, we're not ready to do the basics that it takes to play football. We don't have effort, camaraderie, mentality, ability to sacrifice things to get the job done. All of that is missing. I think he's right, for one. Strange, considering they got such a, a creditable win last week against a, a pretty good, otherwise, uh, Eintracht side. But something's not going right for him at this club. And, you know, I don't want to say that his tenure is going to be short because I have a feeling that, you know, given what he has done at some other clubs, I think he's earned himself a bit more credit than, say, a Mark von Bommel had but the mix is not right yeah no and what do you do in a situation like this do you sack the players or you or do you sack the coach and like most of the time you sack the coach don't you because you can't really sack the players this is presumably an issue of culture within the club and then you've got to be looking at you know the the ceo york smacker yeah i don't think he's the ceo but you've got to be looking at york smacker to a degree for the tone and the culture that exists within the club. Now, maybe the players uh, just don't like Kovac. That has happened in the past. We know this from when he was at Bayern Munich. We were talking about that recently. It has been said that he can rub people up the wrong way. He's got a very specific way of doing things that can rub people up the wrong way. And maybe there's a bit of that going on there, that the players are rejecting the coach, in which case there's no choice. You've got to make a change for the coach. You've got to find a new one. But this would be, what, the second season in a row where they've had to make an early change. And I just wonder out of pure bloody-mindedness that they would just rather not do that and just say, no, look, you're stuck with this guy, so it's up to you. Do you want to go down <laughs> or do you want to stay up? Because that team is plenty capable of sustaining itself in the Bundesliga, maybe as a mid-table grey mouse side, but not, no, not certainly not. You know, There are worse teams than, than Wolfsburg at the moment. But yeah, no clear identity or approach at the moment. And if if Kovac is genuinely having problems 
getting the basics out of them, then no wonder there's no identity. No wonder there's so discernible a coach because if the basics aren't being done, you can't possibly build anything on top of that. So these are incredibly uncertain times for Wolfsburg. And it is just so weird to see, you know, if you've been following the Bundesliga over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so, you kind of, you know, Wolfsburg are relatively recent championship winners. They are a big club in so far as they're a well-financed club. And it's just to see them turn up at a place like Union Berlin and be so unambitious is just a measure of just how much, you know, the Bundesliga has changed in the last few years, just how the power balance has shifted so dramatically in the last few years. Well, let's take a quick break and come back with part two of Talking Foosball Direct. Here's part two of Talking Football Direct. The rest of Match Day 7 coming right up from me, Matt Herman, and Terry DeFellin, as it happens. Terry, we're going to start by talking about Borussia Mönchengladbach and their massive win at home to RB Leipzig. I'm not going to say that I was shocked by this result, but when I saw the pasting that Leipzig gave to Dortmund last week. I thought that this was going to be a much more even game at the very least, and it was not. Jonas Hofmann had Gladbach 2-0 up midway through the first half. To me, this was a real one-sided affair. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, a little bit surprised insofar as I thought that Leipzig had got themselves a nice bounce after their new coach and would put in you know better performances. And It's possible that they're uh, you know, fatigued after, you know, this sort of Champions League schedule that they're having to follow as well. But to lose 3-0 is, you know, for a team like Leipzig is always going to be strange. And it demonstrates that there's still quite a lot of work that needs to be done there. And, you know, suggestion is the squad's just not cohesive. It's just not been put together correctly and that there are parts missing. And that's going to be tough for any coach to come in and organise. And it's interesting, of course, because when Leipzig recruited Tedesco, my first thought was, well, yeah, he'll get them organised. And actually, he did, and he did. He said, but I don't know, I, I kind of thought back to his time at Schalke and thought, oh, gosh, you know, is it going to be a bit like what happens with Schalke? He's going to have a great first season, but then his, you know, his methods are going to kind of wear off or the underlying issues with that squad are just simply going to come to the fore again. And I wonder whether or not this is what's been happening here with Leipzig, that there's, there are underlying issues that just, you know, it's going to take patience, probably a new sporting director mm-hmm. and a couple of windows, maybe three or four windows to resolve the issues that Leipzig have got. And in the meantime, new coaches are just really not much more than the sticking plaster. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned the new sporting director issue. It's been something that I think both – Domenico Tedesco was somewhat vocal about in the early days of this season, not quite getting the personnel that he was hoping to get or, you know, some square pegs for round holes. Max Abel, of course, the guy who's sort of the architect of Gladbach's resurgence over the past decade and change, who notably quit there at the sort of around this juncture, maybe a little bit further into the season, last season, basically talking about his needing to take a step back from football, that it was consuming too much of his life and that he felt like he was, um, you know, hitting a point of, you know, diminishing returns from a personal level. And, you know, as it turns out, after about a year away, it seems like he's ready to come back to professional football. And in fact, he wants to come back as sporting director at RB Leipzig. It seems that for his former players, for people who worked with him, people at both Leipzig and Gladbach, the price tag needs to be worked out for this because he is still under contract, but it looks like things are going to go through. However, there's been some serious headwinds from Borussia Mönchengladbach's organized fans, the ultras, as well as some of their, you know, sort of diehard folks who put out newsletters, etc., Basically calling him, you know, a betrayer, a Judas, if you will, saying that he was faking a 
exhaustion or burnout diagnosis, self-diagnosis, although he didn't use those words and that's partly what they're, what they're taking a little bit of issue with. And there were some banners at the game this weekend, which, you know, use some, some pretty, I don't know, offensive language to describe Max Abel as being, you know, just as bad as RB Leipzig, who, of course, most organized fan clubs within, you know, Germany, especially those of traditional clubs, are very, very against. Would they be right to just let this go from a sort of principled perspective, allow a man who gave a lot to this club to move on and do what he wants to do? Or are they making, at least in some form, a valid point. Truthfully, I don't think so. I, I am not going to take issue with Gladbach fans' right to express their views. Although I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, those banners are deeply offensive. I am reminded of the Borussia Dortmund and and, and Dietmar Hot banners, which use similar language. I think the context is slightly different because of the kind of man that Dietmar Hopp is and the kind of role that he plays. But either way, when you use language like that, you're asking for scrutiny, you're asking for criticism, you're probably asking for a bit of trouble as well. If that reflects the depths of feelings of the Gladbach fans, then okay, then I'm on that. It's not something that I would do, but I'm not them, and that's cool. But, uh, yeah... He was gone for a year, and maybe maybe Gladbach fans feel that that is not a very long time, that one year is not is not sufficient time to recover from the kind of illness that that he that he had. But I mean, having knowing a little bit about how mental illness works, sooner or later you do have to go back to work. Now, I know these guys, and I know Abel is well paid, and I suppose it's theoretically possible that he could maybe retire with the money that he's made may not have to work. But most people who, who suffer from mental illness and have to quit their jobs at some point have to go out to work. So they have to find a way of managing their mental illness so that they can go back to work so they can earn money. And I don't see any reason why we can't take that as face value. Max Abel is a sporting director and RB Leipzig need a sporting director. And so there you go. And it would seem to make sense on a purely professional level on an emotional level i am one of those who you know oppose leipzig as an organization as an institution i don't believe that this is a club that should exist in the bundesliga but it does and they're hiring and abel is a worker and is entitled to apply for work there as all of the players and all the people who work for leipzig are and do and so that's my view. My view is that I think that he is entitled to to look for work. I appreciate it's not as straightforward as that. He is still under contract. But the reality is, is that yeah, he was not going to go back to Gladbach. And uh, perhaps the inference is, is that Gladbach was part of his problem. I don't know. And maybe that's one of the extra wrinkles that's got the ultras so riled up. So while I don't want to trash on ultras emotions and feelings in something like this. I'm not entirely certain that the balance is right in, in, in all of this. And, and my, my view strictly from looking at it from here is that, you know, people are entitled to find work again in the trade that they do. And that's, I think, what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I reckon this is also just one of those fundamental differences that exists between the people who are sort of inside the game and those who are the game is in their hearts and they're inside the game on a week to week basis in the stadium as part of the, you know, the experience, but who ultimately for whom football is, is a cultural object. And it's, it's a, it's a thing that they participate in for reasons of, of identity, for reasons of, you know, expression, but not for reasons of <laughs> earning a paycheck or, you know, achieving something through, you know, athletic endeavor. I mean, if you're on the inside, you're doing it for a lot different reasons than the people who turn up every week to cheer. And ultimately, whether you're a player or a coach or a sporting director or, you know, a marketing manager or any of that, you love the game too, but it is your job. And if you perceive that there is a really good job going where you think you could actually achieve something by the metrics of your profession and you think you could make good money and you think you like the people who work there, 
you know, even if it's working for Dita Mataschitz, who is clearly, you know, a pretty bad dude, you might think about it because it's your job mm. and not your hobby or your passion or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've spent an awful lot of time working for in UK broadcasting and, you know, <laughs> like... You know, I'm not in a position to, 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 to start criticizing people <laughs> for the quality of their employers <laughs> because it's my job and, and, I, and I need to make a living. And I appreciate that football professionals are different, are seen differently. They earn more money. But nevertheless, I think that principle still holds. For sure. Okay, let's move on to talking about the next game in the slate. This is one of one of very few games that had several goals, and it was uh, Stuttgart losing 3-1 at home to Eintracht. I really feel like trouble is brewing for Stuttgart. They do have five points, which is not the worst return. At least there's a ton of teams on, you know, five or six points at the moment. But they are winless on the season. They have, you know, five draws and two losses. What's your take on where Stuttgart is headed? There's been some talk over the past week or so that Sven Mislintat, their sporting director, is not sitting very comfortably in his saddle. They, of course, uh, picked up some a string of former players, including Philip Lahm, to act on some sort of advisory basis. You usually don't pick up a bunch of you know, big-name advisors when everything's going well, I guess. No, they're obviously lacking in any kind of effective leadership at the club losing Kaladzic is going to be a blow and they are a club that probably should have been relegated last season and weren't and probably will be relegated this season unless there's a significant turnaround in fortunes and results and we're we're into that kind of Hail Mary sack the coach and bring in another coach now and it's only September and that'd be harsh on Matarazzo because he's done a and is doing a decent job there. But it looks like this could be where they are already in that. But again, I mean, if the problems run deeper than just simply getting in a new face and uh, and somebody new to shout at the players, then then I'm not quite certain what can save them. Mm. What do you reckon has gotten into Frankfurt? I, I say that somewhat provocatively, of course, because they were big winners in this game. And in fact, winners at midweek in the Champions League. But looking back at some of their ups and downs this season, including that increasingly dark black mark on their record, losing to Wolfsburg (laughs) uh, at home last weekend, what's happening with him? I don't think anyone in Frankfurt should be worried about Frankfurt. I think they're just having an amazing Champions League season. They're playing in the Champions League, which is just awesome and amazing. And yeah, it's, uh, they're having a bit of a lumpy league season. They're having a lumpy season, full stop. But they're in, you know, they're in decent shape. They're, you know, they're not in any peril. You know, they've got good players, and they're just they're just coping with the Champions League schedule and just with the sheer intensity of playing in the Champions League, which I don't imagine is. I imagine it's probably quite different to playing in the Europa League. <laughs> so I know. I mean, handling weekly, you know, bi-weekly schedules is, is something that they have done in the past, but obviously because the schedules condensed and because of the additional intensity of the Champions League, that's what they're, they're just probably having a bit. It's just being a bit inconsistent. I have no worries whatsoever about Frankfurt. I can't possibly be worried about any football team that's got Mario Goetze in it. I just can't. I'm, I'm contractually obliged not to. Love your faith in Mr. Goetze. Okay, we had the remainder of the matches on this week all ended in draws. We can probably gloss over the nil-nil draw, which it's, it's the tradition around here. But it was significant in that it allowed Hoffenheim and Freiburg to cement their places above FC Bayern München. So now we have Union, Dortmund, Freiburg, Hoffenheim, Bayern on the table. Wow. Bayern outside the Champions League places. Just to overstate the the magnitude of the problem. (laughs) We did have some some score draws, however. 1-1 draws for Mainz and Hertha, for Leverkusen and Werder Bremen, as well as for Bochum and Cologne. We got six teams there. I think 
all of whom we're going to end up glossing over a little bit on this episode. Who do you reckon was most pleased with getting a 1-1 draw in those fixtures? My take would probably be Bochum, considering both the nature of the opponent and you know where they find themselves in the table. Wasn't that a last-minute equaliser from Cologne, though? Is that how that went down? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it came late, but I didn't think that they had much of a prayer to get anything out of this game. Their goal was an own goal. Yes, um, it was it a was, good own goal as well. One of the, one of the, one of the better own, yeah. goal, own goals that you'll see uh, this season. It's one of those, like, offer them a point at the before the game and they'll take it, but the way in which they... Conceding an equaliser is going to be gutting because they could have had so much more. But uh, but yeah, I, I I think you're probably right. I think that that's probably the for Bochum. It just just eases that pressure just a little bit. Yeah, we actually had late goals in in all of these games. Hertha saw a one nil lead slip through their fingers, mostly because they tried to bunker a little too much in the late going of the second half, which mm. might have made me a little upset, but. Maybe not. Maybe there was just a feeling of <laughs> this is the way things go. And uh, Werder Bremen, as as is their general want this season, they got themselves a late equalizer against Bayer Nulfir Leverkusen. Maybe we can talk a little bit about Leverkusen. This is probably the most surprising of the teams down there in that cluster. We've got what? One, two, three, four, five teams on either five or six points. You know, Hertha Schalke, Leverkusen, Stuttgart, Wolfsburg. Leverkusen stick out like a sore thumb from that group. What is ailing them? And is it going to be fixed anytime soon? I don't know what's ailing them, Matt. I don't understand what's happening to Leverkusen. <laughs> they kept all of their best players. They should have been able to move forward. They had a good result in the Champions League last week. They beat yeah, Atleti. I mean, they beat Atletico. I, I mean, in fairness, Atletico are playing Witzel as a centre-half. So, you know, let's not get too carried away. But that is objectively a good result. But, uh, yeah, I want Sione to stay and I want him to do well at Leverkusen. And it irks me that he's another one who could be close to the exit. I think that that will be a real shame because Leverkusen are the kind of club that really do need coaching stability. So I'm just hoping for a bit of patience and a bit of a bit of faith there from Simon Rolfes and hopefully, you know, they will slowly start to pick up those kind of results. Or, uh, but yeah, I mean, there is no good reason why Leverkusen should be where they are beyond the fact that they are playing badly and deserve to be where they are. But. Yeah, interesting you brought up Simon Rolfes and... Whether or not he has any thoughts going on behind the scenes. You know, the latest quote that I read from him about Gerardo Seoane's situation was that we don't intend to, to, to make a coaching change during the international break, but not exactly the sort of <laughs> strong backing 100% vote of confidence that you might expect. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's got to be said. You'd have to think about who is on the market that would find that job attractive and is going to be an upgrade. And we're presumably leaving aside the big beasts who are currently... Interestingly, um, Pochettino was seen at Espanyol against Sevilla a couple of weeks ago, and the suggestion is is that he might be replacing Lopetegui at Sevilla. I would characterise Leverkusen as not a dissimilar club in size and stature. Leverkusen don't have anything like the kind of fan base that Sevilla have, but in terms of resources and position in the league, in sort of natural position in the league... I don't know. I mean, that might be an interesting, if somewhat left field, but you would imagine that they'll probably find someone from Austria or Switzerland is waiting to... <laughs> I haven't looked at who the latest young boys coach is, but you know, this is seems to be the pattern. But uh, I mean, is there a good time to be doing that? I, I can't help but feel that Leverkusen are better off sticking at this point and seeing it through, putting it down to a bad start and a bad patch that will change as the season develops. There's never a bad time to hire Thomas Tuchel. However, I think there's a couple of things about that. And that is Thomas Tuchel is like elite level now, right? I mean, he <laughs> is true. like proper elite it's level true. now, isn't he? Thomas Tuchel is probably thinking about like there's, I mean, Juve have never sacked a coach. 
in mid-season, or they haven't done it in in a very long time since since Agnelli has been has been the owner, and so they're unlikely to sack Allegri. But if Allegri keeps losing football matches, they'll have no choice. Yeah, yeah. and then you would have to say that that Serie, and I reckon Thomas Tuchel probably, you know, Serie A is definitely, you know, I would think a legitimate league for Thomas Tuchel to find work in, and Juve is a legitimate club for him to go to and it being Serie A he'd only need to be there for two or three years because they get sick of him anyway which is just as well because most people do with Thomas Tuchel after about two or three seasons <laughs> it's true it's, <laughs> it would be right on schedule for him no I, I I only mention it just because he is out there at the moment and mm. you know I still have a ton of time for him as as a coach and yeah I don't see him coming back to Germany just now but it would be a whole lot of fun if he did. He's got nowhere to go in Germany. I know. I mean, I don't think he won't go back to Dortmund because <laughs> they won't have him. <laughs> and and they're the only other option is Bayern. Munich. I mean, oh, all right. I mean, you know, we are moving into fan fiction here. But Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann gets sacked in November during the World Cup. Doesn't turn it around. Gets sacked in November during the World Cup, and Tuchel takes over. That that is yeah. That that it is yeah. That's moving into the realms of fan fiction, but it's not you know it's not into, yeah. Look, it's not look complete at the fantasy. Odds. Just look at the it odds. See what they say. I wouldn't recommend anyone put any money on it, but it could happen. I mean, if Tuchel came back to Leverkusen, that would be awesome. But again, I stress, I do not want to Sione to 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 leave. I think that that would be a, a, an error in judgment at this point. All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Great to have you back on, Terry. Great to be back on. And can I just remind the listeners that I have written a book. It's called Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow. And it's available on ebook and also from Amazon as a paper book if you want to. But most of you are from the United States, so just buy the ebook because it's much, much cheaper that way. Nice. You know, if you would believe that was the next line in my script, I thought to myself, if Terry doesn't mention it, I will mention it myself. You want to be just as lucky as me owning a copy of Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Terry is at Terry DeFellin. Talking Foosball Extra with Nick Vildhagen and the gang will be coming up in a few days to give you a lower league fix. This is to Nick's Demolio. 